prayer. When I say the word prayer for some people, it brings up feelings of, of pain or, 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 or boredom or I don't know how to do it well. For others, it may be exciting. I know in the Gateway House of Prayer, we had many people who liked to pray, but I don't know if they actually cared about getting answered as much as they'd like hearing their voice over a microphone. And so prayer, when I think about prayer, if I were to sum up the purpose of prayer in one Bible verse, it'd probably be what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 10. It says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that's what prayer was and is to Jesus. Some of you remember me sharing um, last week about teaching a class called Cultivating Fiery Devotion in a facility that we had rented, and it was freezing cold. And the furnace was blowing, the air was blowing, the thermostat was set, but there was no heat, and we discovered that there was no oil in the furnace, because furnaces, oil furnaces require oil to function properly, right? But there's another point to that story I want to make this morning, and that is the reason we found the oil, and the reason we were troubleshooting it was because I had an expectation that a furnace would function like a furnace. In other words, a furnace is created to do something, and in my mind, it was created to release heat. It was created, as it were, to facilitate the atmosphere around it. The furnace's purpose was to change the atmosphere to whatever the thermostat was set at. Does that make sense? Can you feel where I'm going with this? I expected it to function that way because it was created for a purpose. And in the same way, heaven has an atmosphere. It's regulated by the presence of God in the midst of heaven. Jesus called us to pray for that reality, to be on earth, listen, just as it is in heaven. And just as a, a, a thermostat is a governor of a room temperature or, or a house temperature, God's people are His thermostats. Everywhere we go, He's called us to set the temperature of the world that's around us to the temperature of heaven. It doesn't change. When I set a thermostat, it doesn't change immediately. But its point is, if, if, if there's fuel in the tank, and I set the thermostat, eventually the temperature in the room should rise to that temperature. Does that make sense? Well, uh, just as a thermostat is a governor of a, of a house or a room, God's people are His thermostat, bringing the government of His kingdom everywhere they are. And we do that. We govern from the place of prayer. And so we're continuing our series called Powered by Prayer. And the, my message title to you this morning is called Bring the kingdom. And the question I'm asking here this morning is for us to consider ourselves is, what does it look like? Because there was people, the, the disciples saw Jesus get up every day and they would see him pray. And then they would walk around with him all day and see miracles happen and see what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is with you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. They would see life transforming power. They would see people's broken lives getting made whole by God's grace. And so the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. We grew up as Jewish boys. We know what it's like to go to the Wailing Wall. We know what it's like to pray in, in synagogues. But nobody's praying and seeing what you're seeing. I don't want to just pray. I want to pray like that. Are you following me? So what does it look like for us as God's people to pray and live like we expect to see the fulfillment 
of Christ's training, he taught them to pray that the reality, this reality of on earth as it is in heaven. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a particular passage. I want to look at the early church. Because how many know that the people that were closest to Jesus probably had a very good idea, had a better idea of what he meant by what he said? I don't know if you've read the book of Acts lately, but I mean, the book of Acts reads like a, like, just like an amazing movie, except it's not a movie, it's history. The miraculous, the move of God, and we're going to look at what they expected in their prayer life to maybe inform what we should expect in our prayer life. Let's start in Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. By the way, four squads of soldiers, that would have been a four each of 16 guys having to watch one guy. So, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought... He was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they'd walked through the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. That's so weird. And exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, huh, maybe it must be his angel. So Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. So there's a lot of crazy stuff in here in this passage that I want to look at. And I think it's, it, it, I think it's going to help us a little bit here. And so I want to examine this passage a little more closely. I want to see what we can learn about how the first century church walked out Jesus' call to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, and then how it should inform our prayer life as well as we seek to bring the kingdom of God. So some observations I want to look at. And the first observation I want to look at today is to bring the kingdom, we need to utilize prayer as a serious solution to real problems. Understand what I'm saying. For many of us, prayer is something we need to comfort our hearts. I think I brought up how Corey Ten Boom uh, said in one of her quotes, one of her many amazing quotes, she said, uh, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? So for many of us, we don't look at prayer as a serious solution to real-life problems. We look at it as kind of that thing we throw up along with whatever else we're going to do to solve life's problems. Are you following me? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do other things, but I'm saying it should be the steering wheel that informs the other things we're going to do 
not as a last resort after we've tried everything else. Are you following me? So, so let me give you some background on what was happening here, because Herod, King Herod, if you go do the study on him, Herod, Herod Agrippa, Herod the Great, they're all one and the same. And the difficulty of studying anything about anyone named Herod is there was a bunch of them. And so I literally had to go look at their family tree and who was married to who to kind of home in on which Herod this was. This Herod was well-loved by the Jews. Um, a, a, a Jewish historian named Josephus wrote a book called The Book of Antiquities. In that book, he says the Jewish people loved him. We're going to look at that a little in a few more minutes. But, but he was, to them, he was considered a good king. And so, and so did the Jewish leaders. And so it was in that context that Herod said, hey, the Jews don't like this, this people of the way. By the way, that's how we name Lifeway. Uh, the people of the way. So they, they, we're gonna, I'm going to persecute them. And so they took Peter, James, and John. This James is the James of the Peter, James, and John. Because there's, there's another James that wrote the book of James. One of Jesus' inner circle, and they executed him. Jesus' inner circle went from three to two right after the, right after the birth uh, of the church. And so they get all, they gets all, uh, uh, they get all excited about that. And so it was in that context he began to harass, what it says harass, the church of Jesus Christ. Now here's what's interesting about that. One of your foremost leaders, a guy who saw Jesus transfigured before he was, uh, died and resurrected, is executed. And the church's answer, listen to this, the church's answer was to call a prayer meeting. The church's answer was, to, was basically to start a house of prayer as an answer to a viable threat. And listen, the early church was so committed to daily prayer that they had daily prayer meetings at 3 p.m. every day, and then they'd add prayer meetings as needed, kind of like this situation here. Jesus Christ was so committed to prayer that He would arise early every day before he would go out and spend time with the Father, before he would go reveal the Father to people. So the early church had this insight that they needed to spend time with God to reveal God. Are you following me? So here's the question. Why? Why would they invest energy in something that's so sketchy? Does prayer even work? Because... For many of you, you may think this in your heart, when I pray, it doesn't work. Have you ever felt like that? See, that wasn't their experience. You know, even in the context of our prayer meeting, Peter, Peter and John are walking up at this hour of prayer. They're on their way, and there's this, there's this old guy. He's like 40 years old. <laughs> I'm 49, so I don't like the fact that the Bible calls I got old. Tells you about life expectancy back then. But anyway, um, there was this old guy who was begging. He was lame. He couldn't walk. He's, he was paralyzed at some level. Couldn't use his legs. And he's begging. He's holding out this plate, begging for alms. And, and, and so you got to understand something. Like, like Peter, Peter makes a statement, silver and gold I don't have, but what I give, I give to you. Now, most of you know, if you've read the Bible, how he finishes that statement. So I want to I unpack it here a little bit because he's going to say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What's that mean? See, for Peter's angle, Peter had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He had walked with Jesus. He had learned from Jesus. And in the context that he came to know what he was like, what his kingdom was about, what the temperature was he wanted to set. And there's this guy and he's begging for money and he's saying, help me. Could you give to me? And, and Peter's like, yeah, uh, no, I really can't. I don't have silver and gold. Your problem's a little bit more than that, right? Because I could give you that, but that won't really help you. But what if your legs were made whole? Could you then go to work? Can you imagine the injuries we suffer today? I mean, people could still work to some extent. 
Then, you were, I've been in Cambodia after the Khmer Rouge came through there, and there was a lot of people that were damaged from mines, blinded, maimed at multiple levels. And they, literally, it was biblical begging out there. I mean, I saw what true poverty looks like. We think people are poor here. We didn't help the poor of the United States. I mean, I know there's some poor people here, but you have never seen abject poverty until you've been to slums like in Africa and, and uh, these other places. It's just amazing. And they can't do anything. There's nothing else they can do. If someone doesn't give them a handout, they are in serious trouble. That's this guy. And they're walking by this guy. And this guy is begging from help from the people of God. Do you remember I told you in the first week? That was he talked about what it means to cleanse the temple, what it means to be the temple. That, that the temple isn't a place. The temple is us. We are little mobile temple units where people, where we can connect with God. And out of that connection, bring that connection to others. And so this man's begging. And Peter's like, man, I don't have money, but I'm a walking mobile temple unit. I am, I am encountering God in the space of my inner man. And out of that, I want to give that encounter to you. Silver and gold, I don't have. But this encounter I'm having, this life-changing relationship with Jesus, I give it to you. Be healed. Rise up in Jesus' name. And he was. He went walking. He went leaping. He went praising God. Well, the religious leaders didn't like it. They began to persecute. This guy gets healed, and religious leaders are upset. I want to tell you something. Religion still persecutes authentic moves of God to this day. Religion doesn't like an authentic move of God because it threatens their enterprise. They didn't like the fact that, that Peter were, were preaching this Jesus. They threatened him and told him so. You quit preaching in this name. You're messing this all up. Well, man, Peter's like, yeah, because you had him crucified. You know that you're in trouble. And they realize he was legit and, and you guys all messed up. Yeah. Well, did you preach anymore in this name or else we're going to beat you. We're going to do whatever. They threatened him. You know what their answer was? Their answer coming out of that was to call another prayer meeting. They saw prayer as a serious solution to real threats, real problems. They call another prayer meeting. Here's what they prayed, Acts chapter 4. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And this is what the psalm says. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Listen, government leaders see Jesus Christ as a threat to their rule and power. I'm not saying there aren't good government leaders who believe in Jesus. I'm saying when the Bible talks about this as a generality, it's saying in general... The kingdoms of this earth are resisting the kingship of Jesus Christ because that, that's a total takeover. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, they continued in prayer, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants. Say enable. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Do you know that the ability to speak God's word boldly is not something we, uh, we conjure up? It's an enablement from God that not only the apostles had, but you're going to see after this prayer meeting, all the church had. Pray for boldness to speak His word. Pray for boldness to represent because, frankly, we need His help. And they went on. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, to the early church, signs and wonders were not optional equipment to the vehicle of advancing the kingdom. To the early church, signs and wonders were a necessary testimony, calling card to who Jesus is. Well, I don't believe in signs and wonders. That doesn't fit my theology. No, the problem is your theology doesn't fit the Bible. If that's where you're at. I don't come to Jesus saying, fit the way I want you to fit. I need to come to him and repent. I need to change my mind. I need to learn to think like he does about what it means to bring the kingdom, to pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And while it will ultimately manifest when Jesus Christ returns, there is definitely a foretaste that he wants to give the world now before he shows up. It's like when you go to dinner and you order appetizers. He's appetizing the world for the meal to come. The bridal supper, as it were. The Bible calls it the bridal feast of when the church and Christ are united together for all eternity. He's serving the appetizers right now. And the servants, the, the, the waiters of those appetizers, it's you. It's me. And they, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Imagine that. We have a prayer meeting. It's like, whoa, what just happened? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole church, not special elite messengers, the church. So here's the thing. Their experience with prayer was supernatural in nature. That's why they asked Jesus to teach them to pray like He does, because they wanted the life and power that He was walking in every day in front of their eyes. That's what they wanted. And the question I have for you is, do you? I mean, do you want to see the kingdom? Here's the words of Jesus. Listen, little children, he calls us. Little children. It's the Father's good pleasure. God is pleased. It's, it's a good pleasure to him. Listen to this. To give you the kingdom. He wants you to carry out the king's dominion. That's what a kingdom is. And they expected God to release his governing power against governments of man that will not come into alignment with God's will. This Herod I just told you about, Herod, Herod the Great, the Jews loved him so much, the Bible records in the book of Acts, that he stood up and gave a speech. Some of your Bibles will say an oration. I don't know what he spoke. But the Jews, they already liked him. And, this, and, and they, they, the Bible says they declared the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, the Bible tells us that he was struck by an angel of the Lord and died in that moment. Says he was eaten with worms. That's gross. Okay, I question. You know, this, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with doing this. The first thing I did when I read that was like, okay, it, this is a king. If this happened in history, it had to get recorded, and it did. Josephus, by the way, who happened to like him, who wrote the Book of Antiquities, who kept the history uh, for that period of time, told the story of of King Herod. There was a time when King Herod went through a trying time, and he had this omen. It's all written here. He had this omen of of this owl that he saw. And he had his own religious people, not, not Jewish people, but like whatever the pagan people interpreted. They said, this owl is a good omen. You're, you're going to have favor and blessing from the gods. But if you see it again, you will die. And so from their historical record, okay, not a Christian record. The day the people, the people according to the history say this. It's a little more developed in, in, in what was written there. It said, while he was giving the speech, the, some people shouted out, previously we have regarded you as a man. But that is not the voice of a man, but the voice of a God. And he got the, and whoever it was got that ring there. The voice of a God, not of a man, got them cheering. 
And he was bothered by it himself. He, he says so. It says so of, of some of his final words. But he didn't correct them on it. And that's what the Bible points out. And all of a sudden, he sees this owl appear up on this thing. It just suddenly lands right there. In the middle of the day, landed right there, and he began to he began to began to uh, be seized with pain in his gut, and then in his chest. Four days later, he died. Wow. The early church expected God to release His governing power against the governments of man that will not come into alignment with God's will. They didn't take matters; they didn't go to Facebook and trash talk everybody. And I'm not saying you can't influence people there. I'm saying there's no power to change the mind of men with words alone. Even Paul the Apostle said the kingdom comes not only in words, but in power. Yeah. Are you following me? Yeah. So that place we govern is the place of prayer, which leads to my second observation from this passage for us. To bring the kingdom, we need to expect miracles in our everyday lives. So let's re review what happened here. Because honestly, what happens here reads... Like an like a awesome scene from a really cool sci-fi fantasy movie, except again, it's not fantasy, it's, it's history. So, so what happens is James gets killed, Peter gets thrown into the prison, the church gets urgent. Again, they see, they call a prayer meeting. And so the church begins to pray constantly in their little house of prayer in this, this house. Suddenly, an angel appears. And it's like he waves his angelic hand and like, you know, taps you, wake up. Peter's like, wakes up, he's got his handcuffs on, and the angel just waves his hand and... The, the handcuffs just fall off, and the chain falls to his feet. Peter gets dressed, and the angel leads him, listen to this, past two sets of guards on duty who don't notice Peter walking out of prison. Can you imagine? It's in some little place. It's like the, the chains fall off, the door opens up, the angel's like, follow me, and they're like walking out. Big angel, little Peter, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so they're, they're walking out. And, and, and they go like, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what the, uh, the guards do here, what, what their version of a pastry or donut is, but I imagine they're having their version of that, and they're walking out, and, and the big angel, and they just don't see him. It's like, the angel's like, you cannot see. And they just walk out. Yeah. They get to the edge of the city. They get out of there. They get to the edge of the city. A city gate is huge. It says it just opened for them. It's like the angel walks up, and it's like somebody turned the garage opener on. And, like, and they walk on out, and he walks them down the full length of the street, the angel disappears, and Peter's like, whoa, that wasn't a vision. That was real. God has delivered me from, from the hands of the enemy. And so here's the thing. Here, I want you to understand something about the way they saw the supernatural. Like, angelic activity was so common in the early church that when Peter shows up at the door and knocks, most of the people in the prayer meeting assume it's Peter's angel. What's that even mean? Check this out, Acts 12, 13 and 16. Let's read it again. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. Stop. Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind. An angel's at the door. That's totally sane. <laughs> Do you see the difference between the Western church thinks and, and the early church thought? Well, science tells us everything. Science tells you anything God wants to reveal through science. If you think science can tell you all the deep things, the mysteries of God, science, they're still trying to figure out our origin story. Are you following me? And they're mostly wrong on all of it, so... You're out of your mind. So they were astonished that it was Peter. Listen, when, when they realized it really was Peter, it says they were astonished that it was him and not an angel. 
Let me say it differently. They had more faith for Peter's angel to show up than a freed Peter. I'm like, what was the purpose of your prayer meeting anyway? <laughs> and that kind of expectation or faith, what they expected, they expected miracles. Like, like if you read the Bible, the Bible like is filled with angelic activity. Wouldn't you think, think about this. In heaven, angels are doing all kinds of stuff. Revelation 4, 5, you've heard me talk about it a lot here. Angels doing flybys and seraphim and cherubim and messengers going on assignment. And that stuff's all over the Bible. From the book of Daniel to Ezekiel to the present, the prophets have had these experiences. And angels shows up to get in. Angels are normal in the Bible. Now, it's interesting. It says an angel struck him. Herod saw an owl. The Bible records it as an angel. See, I don't get what it means to entertain angels unaware, like Hebrews says, but I think there's more going on than meets the eye, maybe even in this room today. And so, and so all I'm trying to get at is they had this high expectation that when they prayed for the kingdom, that angelic activity, the works of God that are in heaven to come on earth, they actually expected God to do it. That's why they were praying. And I'm convinced that most of us don't pray with any fervency or expectancy because if we're honest with our hearts, we don't really expect it to happen. But it's not because God won't do it, which leads to my next observation. To bring the kingdom, we need to persevere in faith that what we're hoping for will come to pass. So Barry Whistler is one of our overseers. He was the founder of Ephrata Community Church. He's still the president of HarvestNet uh, and is a good friend of mine. And uh, Barry one time was doing a teaching on hope. You've heard these, right? Faith, abide in faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is love. And we all know that, but kind of when people write books and talk about it, you get a whole lot about faith, a whole lot about love, and hope's like the stepchild of that little three-man group. If you're a stepchild, I get it, so am I. So anyway, my point is, is that you can, it can feel like it's rejected. And Barry placed it in full honor one day when he said, you need to understand, faith is useless without hope. He said, hope is the thermostat where you set the temperature. It's where you go for where you want it to be. And then faith in that hope begins to move towards what you're hoping for, begins to set in order the strategy, the prayer, the everything you're believing for. So, for example, they hoped Peter would be released. So they called a prayer meeting and they believed in faith that if they would pray, their hope would be fulfilled. Wow. Hope says it's possible. Right? Hope says, says what is possible can be. Faith says if it is possible, then it will be. Let me give you a couple. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. Stories you've, if you've been around life, where you've heard several times. And again, I disclaim telling you the story again, but I don't apologize for it. I'm going to tell you again a story. I'm going to hit it from a different angle. For those who've been here for a while, these are foundational stories to my life. And it's going to affect the community, the church at some level. For those who are new to these stories, I hope they will impact yours the way they impacted mine. But the first story comes from when I was building uh, our first house uh, down in New Providence. And uh, the builder is a friend of mine now named Dan Seacrest. I went to work for him later after he had been my builder. And part of it was he, he liked this crazy young man's, I was pretty wild in the way I thought stuff. And there's an example of that. One day they need to drill the well and I was happy to meet him on the job site. And I said, how do they find the water? And he said, well, basically they'll take this, the guy will come out, the well driller will come out and he's got this dousing rod, you know. I said, don't they call that water witching? Which I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know. Okay, it could be physics, but it could be supernatural. So I was like, and he said, yeah. And then he gets wherever the thing just points to the ground and that's where we drill the well. And I said, you are definitely not doing that on my property. 
And he said, well, you can tell us where to drill the well, but if you miss it, you'll have to pay for the redrill. I said, well, God found water for Elijah. He'll find water for me. So I walked around, and I'm praying in the spirit, and I'm looking around, and I get up to this top of this hill, and I look at this spot, and I'm like, right here. I claim 39 gallons a minute right here in Jesus' name. To which he laughed heartily. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like that house up the hill's got like 1.5. This one's got like three gallons. If you had a three-gallon well, you would be doing really good sitting right here. I said, there's 39 gallons a minute getting drilling. I went off to work. This is Dan's first exp- really first experience with me. So Dan's like, wow, this guy's nuts. So anyway, I go to work. About a few hours later at work, several hours later at work, he said, hey, we got to 200 feet. There's nothing here. What do you want us to do? I said, there's water there. Keep drilling. And then I did what any gun-slinging hero in a cowboy movie would do. I shook in my boots. I was like, there's water there. He hung up the phone. I was like, please let there be water there, God. Have you ever been there? Talk tough to the bad guy. And then in your heart, you're like, I am so scared. <laughs> That's what was happening to me in the moment, right? It, they, they drill another 80 feet. I get a phone call. He says, man, we went another 80 feet. You're not going to believe this. And I knew where it was going. I said, I actually interrupted. I said, yes, I will. And he said, we, we think we got 40 gallons a minute right here. I said, tell me how you get that number. Like, like do you... Is it some kind of exact thing? I was actually disappointed it was one gallon more. So he said, uh, he said, well, no, I mean, we got a five-gallon bucket here, several of them, and we time it, and we just keep switching out buckets. So I said, so really, it could be 39 gallons a minute. He said, yeah, I guess it could be. I said, it is. Write that on the well then. <laughs> uh, some of you have heard me tell that story before. Here's what I want to focus on in this story. The distance between what can be and what I experienced as a manifestation was 80 feet of perseverance and faith. And sometimes the thing of what can be in your life, what you are contending for in your life, the distance between what can be and what you actually experience in your personal reality, what's in heaven coming on earth in your personal reality, isn't the fact that you believe it to begin with or that you have hope that it will, but what you lack is perseverance in faith. And honestly, I feel like so much of why I see answer prayer isn't because I pray better than other people. I simply lock on like a bulldog and don't let go. God wants you to have bulldog faith. But you lock on and not give up yeah. and, and, and fight. And I look, well, I've, I've, I, it's impossible to preach a balanced message in one message. I know there are things that happen. I pray for this person. They didn't get healed. And I got all kinds of stuff on that, right? And we've talked about those things. But right now, let's just get victory in other areas like, yeah. like that. The second story I want to tell you, and a very important one to intercessory prayer in the context of how we pray. I was called out of the, by the same guy, and I was working for him. I was called out of the office one day to come into a basement where they were going to need to run plumbing uh, for a, a bathroom that was being installed in the basement. And so uh, they had this guy come out, and they had already cut, when I got there, they had already taken a concrete saw and cut about a three-foot by, you know, three-foot square on the floor. And, and so they were going to begin to pound this. And this guy named Phil took this thing that they called a the digging iron, because I'd never seen one of those before, because... We use different tools in Texas anyway, uh, but hey, if you want to go primitive, you can. And so they did they grab this primitive heavy tool, and he began to beat this space. And I'm asking Dan, Dan, what's he doing? He's got to break that concrete. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. So about, a, I don't know how many times passed. We'll just make up a number. Maybe 100 times he hit that thing. He's sweating profusely. I'm like, Dan, he's not getting through that concrete. And Dan looks at me like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah he'll get through that concrete. I said, uh, you ever heard of a, like, a, you know, like, a, like a power jackhammer or something? Like that'll do a lot better job. You know, and getting through, he goes, no, he'll get through, just wait. And so he kept pounding, and after a little bit, the floor began to look like it was flashing. It looked like the light was hitting, it was flashing, and all of a sudden, it just crumbled. It became dust inside the 
facility. And I heard the, in, in, in the basement, and it just fell in that, that hole. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, break through my brain, just said, he said, uh, I want you to pay attention because that's how you break a stronghold. And I said, what do you mean? And the Holy Spirit says to me, in this analogy, Dan is the intercessor, Phil is the Holy Spirit, and you're the devil. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, yeah. And so, and so just, as, just as the intercessor sets the target and the Holy Spirit begins to pound that target as you begin to pray, right? The devil about that time comes along and says, you're not getting your breakthrough. You don't have enough power. The gap power supply coming. He said, all the intercessor has to do is persevere in faith and the breakthrough will come. Hope said, it can break. Faith said, it will break. Are you following me? Hope said, there's water down there somewhere, a lot of it. Faith said, I'm going to go find it. Why doesn't my experience look like what's laid out in the Bible, you might be asking? Well, maybe you need to go back and listen to the beginning of this series. The first message is called Cleanse the Temple. Maybe there's things in your life that aren't right. James says, you have not because you ask not. Okay, so you either don't pray about it or you're using prayer as a last resort, not your steering wheel. You're not seeking God for direction. You're seeking God to help you with bad direction you took to begin with. It's kind of like a reset. He will. He'll help you. Or you ask amiss. You've got wrong motives in what you're praying for. And the Bible says you need to cleanse the temple of your heart. You cleanse your motives and begin to pursue the God. Deal with you. We, we, live, we live like everything else is God in our life. We give God a little bit of time on Sunday. But then when an emergency happens, we want Him to move in the power of the book of Acts. The early church didn't te- treat Him that way. They forsook everything else at a heart level. I mean, I'm not saying you can't live as a 21st century person, but I'm saying those things had no hold on them. The Bible says they would have given it all away to lay hold of the kingdom of God, and they did. They were selling lands and whatever else. So there was something, their full wholehearted commitment seemed to trigger something in the reality of heaven and God's wholehearted commitment to answering their prayers. I don't like that theology. I didn't write the Bible, folks. I can only interpret it and share it with you. But maybe that's a possibility. You need to cleanse the temple. Maybe it's that you're just not... Spending time with God. You need to tend the fire. Just like the, the furnace was empty of oil. It, it was that it was created to do its job. It just didn't have the oil from being, you know, from having oil put in it to function as fuel. And the fuel of your fire is your relationship with God. And when the when the oil of your devotion continually comes in the presence of God, there's a combustive thing that happens when God's presence touches it and you you get awakened to fire in your heart. And if you're doing that, you say, Man, I have, I've cleansed the temple, man. I've, I've dealt with my heart. I'm dealing with it. I'm tending the fire, then maybe you just need to persevere for 80 more feet, or 80 more days, or 80 more something. Are you following me? Yeah. Would you stand to your feet? I believe God has called us to bring the kingdom in every circumstance by persevering in faith. So listen. Peter was kept in prison. But the early church was earnestly praying to God for him. I don't know what you're facing. It didn't say as an individual, they faced their stuff as an individual. They got together with some people. They called a prayer meeting, listen, and they prayed together. You know, we've been holding these prayer meetings from... Uh, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., noon to 1, and then on Mondays, 7 p.m. Uh, till whenever, <laughs> you know. But um, 
Our 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. prayer meeting has been nothing less than extraordinary. The revelation that happens, the, the, there, like, like there was a man who was in our 6 a.m. prayer meeting who told me about the situation with his wife who's been in hospice. They, they took her there for dead. She had a leg issue that was, that was they, they didn't know if it was going to kill her or not. Now, they began to pray. Pastor Dean came and actually anointed her with oil, and there began to be some recovery. But he said something significant happened uh, last, at the Monday morning prayer meeting when you came and said, well, let's pray for, for you and for your wife. And we, we, a group of us gathered around together saying, don't face this alone. And we declared things over him and over his wife. He said her leg was completely healed. Listen, oh, the end there. She now she just took like four steps. This is all within a week. You understand when you haven't been walking for for a long time, months. You know it's it's a big deal. Are you following me? Yes. Together, prayer. We decided we're going to keep it that way. We're just going to establish this as a house of prayer environment. We're going to keep the six a.m. to seven a.m. watch, the noon to one. You can come anytime. Noon to one is going to turn more into like a eventually into a devotional set. Where I know some of you don't have places to tend your fire, so to speak. You don't have time. You can't read your Bible at a quiet place. We're going to create a worshipful. Uh, uh, soft, as it were, music atmosphere for you to encounter God, read your Bible, and spend time with God in the afternoon. So intercession in the morning, time with God there. It's what we call a devotional set in the, uh, in the, at noon. And we're going to keep the Monday night prayer meetings because Lifeway Church was built on prayer, and we're going to increase that because we see what the... Well, I want to see what the early church saw. I want to set the thermostat of Lebanon County and Lancaster County and Dauphin County and Berks County and the nation through the place of prayer. Amen. So, so don't face your stuff alone. And um, I just had a, another story, and again, I, I digress, but, um, but it's a good digression for your edification. There was a lady who came up this morning, told me she's had Parkinson's disease for years. She's got one of those little regulator things in the brain. I didn't even know they make this. My father-in-law didn't have one of those when he had it. It's supposed to help the shakes, but she still would shake. She said at our Easter service this year, she said, I don't know what you said or preaching, but she had this flash of light while she was literally a physical, like, like fireworks went off her head. She almost passed out. She got up and she had no more shaking. You're like, I don't know. Yeah, that's just, that's way better than your thoughts about that. I know what's going on. You're frustrated. Like, why not me? Or why not this person? Or why would I stop it? To look that direction doesn't improve anything. I don't know if we can fix what's happened in the past, but we could be a people who contend now to see God's kingdom brought now to the circumstances and lives we face now. Amen? So, so let me finish with this. Man, I want to ask, uh, uh, so that's for the church. For the church, like, I don't know what you're facing. We need to pray. You know Jesus, but you're not doing it. But there's some of you that don't know the Lord, or you know him in a very superficial way, and it's time to move from your little introduction to Jesus to an immersion in all things, Jesus Christ. Peter was in prison and the church prayed for his release. Let me ask you a question. What is, is in prison in your life that if you take prayer seriously, expect miracles in your circumstance and persevere in faith that God might supernaturally bring forth what it is you're contending for and set it free? Is it a son or a daughter that's struggling right now? God's big enough to set them free from that prison as the church prays. Is it some kind of stronghold in your life like that concrete? Maybe you're addicted to pornography or you're addicted to drugs or substances. God is big enough to set you free as we pray. And maybe the distance between where you're at and your freedom is 80 feet of perseverance. Come on. Peter, when an angel was escorting him out of prison, said, oh, I thought it was only a vision. Let me ask you a question. What is currently only a vision in your life 
That's some perseverance and faith, expecting the supernatural might move it from vision to manifestation, from up in heaven to here on earth. That's why we pray. On earth as it is in heaven. Bring the kingdom. So, so, so listen. You need to understand something. The gospel of Jesus Christ informs us of something, and that's this. We're all in prison. When we start out this journey, we're all in prison of some kind. I don't care how successful you are. Your success may be your own prison. It's kept you from God. I don't need Jesus. You will when you see him. When his eyes are burning like a flame of fire, he shines like a fire from the waist up and the waist down. His face burns like the sun in its strength. And he looks at you and you're trying to hold up all your accomplishments on earth. He's going, yeah, but I didn't know you. You didn't, you didn't surrender. You didn't walk with me. That's going to be a bad day. I don't care how successful. In other words, if you were successful in this life, let me put it in the words of Jesus. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what good was that? I had fun. You won't for eternity. Look, Jesus came to die on a cross for sins. When someone gives their life, the consequence, the reason he gave his life is because the consequence for yours is terrible. It's a lake of fire. It's eternal separation from God. Well, I don't believe in it. Well, you will if you don't. And the reason you don't believe in it is because it's disturbing. Why would a God of love send people who reject him there? Why would the people that he loved reject him? He's God. He can do what he wants with his creation. God, news, newsflash, you're a part of it. Now, that sounds tough. Let me say this. The Bible says God so loved you. He loved you. He loved the world. He loved a world that is separated from God enough to send his own beloved, closest, valuable son to die for us, to give us a chance. In other words, with all that, all that threat I just put out there, he really doesn't want that to be your end. That in fact, he does love you. And a God of love took people who were already on the way to that because they submitted to darkness and the devil. And he says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to purchase you back with my life from darkness so that you can have life. And all you have to do to have it is surrender to me. Trust me to lead you. Change leaders. Give up the devil. Take me as your leader. And I'll lead you to eternal life. You don't have to be perfect. You will fail at times. I'll convict you. I'll correct you. I'll call, I'll call you to step up, and you will have eternal life. He wants to give that to you today. And some of you, you've gone to church, and you're like the religious people. Some of you have persecuted moves of God in your midst because you were religious showing up at church, but you never really wanted to surrender to Jesus. That was the Pharisees' problem. That was the religious leaders' problem. And it will be a problem for mankind until Jesus returns. And the only way out of that is to say, I was wrong. The Apostle Paul was one such persecutor. He surrendered his life to Jesus and became a world changer. I think he wants that for you. He wants you to go from bringing your own kingdom and your own agenda to bringing his kingdom. If you want to get in on that today, you can. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, Confess him as Lord, or confess your sins and confess him as Lord, and he'll receive you into his family. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you're saying, man, I've been to church, you're saying some things that I'm feeling today, and I want that for my life. I don't care if you've been going to church your whole life. That does not make you any more of a Christian than, a, you know, than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You need to surrender to Jesus if you want that kind of transformation of eternal life. If you're here today and you say, I want to do that, I'll lead you in a prayer. I won't call you forward. But if you want to do that, would you raise your hand high and let me pray for you? Come on. Oh, I see you. Anybody else? 
pray. And for the church, for those of you who know Jesus here, I, I think we all know we need to surrender. I want to see the kingdom. And there's been things in my life that have hindered that. If you want to join in in this prayer, you can join in and pray with me. Say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me uh, for my unbelief. And I ask you to forgive me in every way that I've resisted your move in my life. I'm asking you to grant me the faith of the first century church to contend in prayer and to advance your kingdom. I'm asking you to anoint me to be a thermostat in my generation to set the temperature of my world to the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.